You know, as a believer, uh, we need to be in a constant refining process. And the Lord does that many times, sometimes through trial like we just prayed about, and sometimes just through uh, the, the basic refining of our lives and things that go on. And we are called uh, by Scripture to surrender ourselves daily and to die to ourselves daily. So there is a, a very active expectation from the Lord that we will be constantly assessing our spiritual health, that we will be looking at our lives and looking at our walk and purging whatever's damaging to us and, and eliminating what is causing us harm, uh, both through confession and through uh, breaking habits of sin and, and getting away from the things that we know will, will destroy us and then moving on to holiness and moving on to a spirit-filled and a spirit-led life. And then as we do that daily, there needs to be times of periodic assessment and analysis where we examine how am I doing? Am I growing? Am I maturing? Do I know more scripture than I did six months ago? Is my prayer life stronger? Is my faith uh, more fervent? Uh, is my service more effective? Those types of questions that we know that are the basics of Christianity. But we need to constantly be looking at them and saying, how am I doing in terms of these areas? Because if we don't, it is very easy to become complacent and stagnant and kind of dull. That's why over the next eight or nine weeks, we're going to do what I'm calling a spiritual physical. We're going to be examining different areas and different parts of our lives in order to test whether there is power and strength and health or whether there is weakness and disease. Because as we do this, we've got to find out what are the areas that are not shored up and how can we do that. Now, we're going to start this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with just one verse. And there is an overall concept here. There is a spiritual principle here that serves as the foundation to all the other studies. If we can get this right, if we can have this truth be in our lives, then it will set the stage for everything else. There's really no reason to talk about the other parts of our life unless we get this part right, because it affects everything else. When there is a problem with our body, when, when we have some kind of issue in our physical body, we have to look past the symptoms and get to the root cause. Because if we just try to deal with the symptoms, then we're just going to, to, to kind of deal with the surface without getting down to the core issue. And this same principle applies spiritually. We can look at parts of our life and say, well, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with this and try to just correct that somehow. Like if I'm struggling with lust, well, I just won't look at my computer as much. Or if I'm struggling with greed, then I'll have somebody else handle my money. Or, or if I have a, a bad attitude, I'll have somebody hold me in check every time I'm kind of a jerk. But that's just dealing with the surface junk. That's not getting down to the core issue that all centers right here in 1 Thessalonians 5.15. And that's why this verse, love this verse, this verse is an essential spiritual principle for our lives. There's one verse at the start of this year that we should just have before us and hold on to and memorize. It should be these five words because they are the standard and the motivation for everything that we should be doing. 
Now, the Spirit is teaching this the Thessalonian church. And the Thessalonian church was a pretty faithful church. As the New Testament churches go, Thessalonians was up the ladder. Philippians really probably at the top. Philippi at the top. Thessalonica probably in the two to three range. They were faithful. They had served the Lord. They loved the Lord. Um, but But like any church that loves the Lord, including Harbor Rock Tabernacle, there's always a next level, right? There's always another level of of faith and holiness and spirituality that can be attained. And that's what Paul is writing to them. He's saying, you're doing great, but there should be more. And we see that really in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says to them, we exhort you in the Lord Jesus, you can look at it, that as you've received instruction from us as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk. In other words, he's saying you're doing very well. But then look at the end of the verse. He says, I want you to excel still more. There was strong opposition around them. There was persecution that was starting to take place middle of the first century. The church in Thessalonica had a lot of influences in terms of the town and some of the cultural influences and religious influences around them. And he says, what we need to constantly bear in mind, this is chapter 5, is the return of the Lord. How are we living in light of the return of the Lord? If Jesus came back today, what would he find? And he says to Thessalonica, while you're doing well, there is more you can do. And you need to become imitators of Christ and examples of what it looks like to be a believer. And this verse, which kind of is the culmination of that thought, chapter 5, verse 15, is surrounded by uh, conversation, really, which starts back in verse 12 uh, of how, I'm sorry, I keep saying verse 15, it's verse 19. In verse 12, he starts to talk about how we should live in a practical way. And around verse 19, there are a few thoughts uh, that, that he kind of gives where the Spirit is talking very strongly about how we live in anticipation of Christ's return. On either side of verse 19, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And then on the other side of it, he says, Examine everything carefully, Hold fast to what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. So he's giving practical instruction. This is how we should live. But right in the middle of that, in verse 19, he gives these five words. And the five words are very simple, but they have a lot of power to them. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Now that word quench doesn't mean like we quench our thirst, like I'm really thirsty right now, I'd like to take a drink of that water, uh, because I'm kind of dry. That's not what the word means here. The word quench here is talking about putting out a fire. And because this is spiritual, and because the Spirit is the one who's talking here, because we know that Paul wrote the book, but the Spirit gave him the words, right? So, If the Spirit gives him the words, then this is the Spirit talking. Look at what he says. Don't extinguish my influence. Don't smother the spiritual passion and the spiritual fire that I have ignited in you and I'm going to keep burning in you. In other words, the measure of his presence or absence in our lives will dictate how we're doing. The more we have of the Spirit, 
the more our faith will be strong, the more obedience will be consistent, the more we will mature in our faith, the more we will serve the Lord and tell people about him and call on his name and all the other things we know about Christianity. But if he is quenched, if his absence is not there, then all those things will not be true and will be weak. If we have the Spirit, when we have the Spirit influencing us and driving us, there will be no presence of spiritual apathy and spiritual inconsistency and spiritual immaturity. But when he's suppressed, all those things will describe us. That's the defining line that he's putting here. And what makes this even more fascinating is how personal the Spirit of God is being with us. It's like he's saying, don't put out my fire. When we read, don't quench the spirit, it still seems a little removed from us. Like, all right, this is a nice spiritual principle that we need to have that we should not quench the spirit. But if we read this as if the spirit of God is standing before us and saying, here's my instruction to you. Don't put out my fire. This is my fire. This is my presence. This is my influence. This is my life. This is my work in you. Don't put that out. Don't squash it. Don't extinguish it. Don't do anything that would limit it. Now, here's the odd thing. God has all power, right? Everybody say yes. God has all power. He can do anything he wants. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's magnificent. He's almighty. He doesn't answer to us. How many know that's true this morning? And yet, we're told here that this fire, which comes from the Spirit, who is God, we're told in verse 19 that be put out and that we're responsible for it. That God, who is almighty and all-powerful, says to us, you can put out my fire. You can extinguish this and stifle this. Now, if that wasn't true, then the spirit is being dishonest. But the spirit says to us, don't put out my fire. Which means even as believers, we can hinder the work of God. We can obstruct it and stifle it or just put it all out together or we can stoke it and feed it. It was really cold first part of this week, right? You probably built a fire in your fireplace. And you noticed this spiritual principle being true, that if you built that fire and you got the logs and the wood and the kindling and it was roaring and all of a sudden you were very warm, but if you let it go and didn't tend to it, it didn't stoke it, after a few hours it kind of died down and then the room would start to get cool again. But if you keep putting logs on, you keep putting kindling on, you keep stoking it and tending to it and taking care of it, then that fire will continue to stay warm and it will overcome the cold because fires tend to go out if they're not dealt with. Fires will not just continue to burn and burn and burn. There has to be something that feeds it. And that explains so much about verse 19 here and how the Spirit works in our lives and the impact that He has when we're walking with the Lord. God has promised to us, listen now, God has promised His presence. He has promised His power. He has promised His holiness. He has promised his wisdom. He has promised his faithfulness. He has promised his sufficiency. 
But he says, you've got to feed that fire. Don't just take me for granted. Don't just sit back and say, well, God, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. I'm not going to do anything to help maintain it. Just keep giving and giving and giving. Because look at all the things I've given to you. Look at all the things that I have promised and fulfilled in your lives. I have given you my spirit to indwell you. Now I want you not to quench what he's doing. I want you to promote and and push forward and stoke and, and incite what God has done in your lives. And then I want you to be effective for me. But if you're not going to tend to it and you're not going to stoke it and you're going to quench it then I'm not going to abide there because I will not abide where there's impurity. I'm holy. My influence will be impeded in your life because you have refused to allow the fire to be fed. So here's the question at the outset, and then we're going to get down into a couple principles and pray. Here's the question at the outset. And ask this of yourself this morning, and I'm asking myself and asking all week. Am I feeding the fire? Or am I putting it out? Am I on fire for the Lord? Think about this this morning. It's kind of a dull, cold, bleh kind of January day, right? It's icy on the ground. All the Christmas lights have stopped shining. And we're paying bills and we're back to work. I don't mean to depress you, but that's life right now, right? So this is kind of January 12th. We come into church. Here's the question. Am I on fire for the Lord? Do I love God so much? Am I, am I filled with His Spirit? Am I living by His Spirit? Am I so passionate this morning about being like Jesus Christ? I don't care if it's 90 below. I love the Lord this morning. Or is it kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of dull and not really growing. Kind of open the Bible studies will help me, but no. Kind of restless, not feeling very strong, struggling. I don't really feel victory over sin. I'm trying, Paul. I, I, you're picking on me. I'm not. I swear I'm not. I, this is this is not this is not confrontation here. This is what the Spirit is telling us. Are we on fire or are we dull? Now, most of us would say, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. And we know the verse from Revelation. God doesn't want us in between. Choose, hot or cold, which one? I, I, don't, I don't want average. I don't want middle ground. I don't want normal. Get on fire or get off the boat. That's not my words. That's his words. Are we on fire this morning? And what we're trying to assess this morning is, what is my spiritual temperature? If we had a thermometer put in our spiritual mouth this morning, what would it register? Would we find the Spirit of God on fire burning within us? Or would it just kind of not move the mercury very much? And that's a hard Question, but I don't know about you. I don't want to live one more day of my life without the Spirit's fire. I don't want to spend one more day where I'm just kind of, come on, Christ died for our sins. He didn't die for our sins so we could just kind of say, eh. 
He didn't rise again and defeat death so we'd still be stuck in our sin and still be stuck in our complacency and kind of just be saying, well, Lord, I'm so grateful that you saved me, but I just don't have any passion for you. I don't have any intensity in my walk. I don't have any fervency in my faith because I just have stuff. God says, I removed all that stuff. I don't even remember that you had that stuff. Why aren't you on fire for me? And we've got to figure this out because, again, everything rests on this. And we've got to figure out what hinders and impedes this work. How do we put out the Spirit's fire? Remember, this is not written to unbelievers. This is written to a faithful church like this church. This is written to believers who love God and anticipate His return and are trying to make a difference in our culture. This is written to us. And He says to us, Stop quenching my spirit. So we have to figure this out and we have to aggressively guard against what puts out this fire. Let's talk about three ways this morning. There are three primary ways that we can quench the spirit and they parallel the ways that you put out a fire. Three ways to put out a fire. I hope my brother, Mr. Yako, agrees with this, that I don't get this wrong. Three ways to put out a fire. You either drown it, you smother it, or you starve it. Now let's take a couple minutes, because time is short. Let's take a couple minutes on each one. Let's start with the first one. The way we drown our spiritual fire, the way we douse the work of the Holy Spirit is very simple. We drown the work of the Spirit when we allow and maintain Sin in our lives. I know that is Christianity 101, but every single one of us needs to hear it this morning. We douse the work of the Spirit. We put out the fire when we allow and maintain sin in our lives. God is holy. He is not going to be mocked. So if we refuse to give up the sin that he has freed us from, if we refuse to renounce the past life that he has already removed, then we are making a statement about what is most important to us. Now, that is highly convicting. And even as I studied it, I was convicted. But I thought the next thought that came into my mind from the Lord is, I intend for it to be convicting. I want you to be convicted by that. Jesus said, you can't love anyone or anything more than me, or you are not worthy to be my disciple. You want to be my disciple? You want to say, oh, I love Jesus, and I'm a Christian, and I go to church, and I tithe, and I serve the Lord. Well, that's great. Have you given up everything in abandonment for Christ? Do you love him more than anything else? Because if there is something more important then we are quenching the work of the Spirit. We are saying, I have greater priorities. I have greater love, Lord, for something more than you. And at that point, there's no way we can call him Lord because he's not. The Lord has control. The Lord is the one we serve. The Lord is the one 
we love. And when we do what the Bible prohibits or we don't confess it or feel sorry for it, then it douses the work of the Spirit. It's like pouring a big bucket of water over a fire. It will extinguish that flame. And God says, you want to sin? I'm holy. I'm not going to abide what's unholy. I'm not going to be around it. So if you want to have sin present in your life, I'm not going to be in the middle of your life. Uh, you, I, I'm not going to be there for you. You hold on to sin in your heart and mind, Paul. You want to you want to maintain sin in your life. You want it to be more important than me. Well, how do you think that and me are going to coexist in the same place? It's impossible. I'm not going to do it. Say, well, he's abandoning us. No, we're abandoning him. We're saying to him, God, I love you, but I don't really love you. I really love this more than I love you. And that's what makes sin so dangerous and why the devil it lies about its nature and lies about its consequences and why he says, oh, come on, Rhodes, it's not a big deal. Just keep your foot in your old life for a while. Come on, God doesn't really care. And besides, his expectations are way too high for you. Doesn't he know who you are? It's okay. Oh, you failed. Come on. You're human. It's all right. You have needs that the Lord doesn't know or care about. Just do your thing and God will forgive you. God says, you're quenching my spirit. If we've been saved any length of time, some of us 20, 30, I'm 40 years with the Lord this year. 40 years. Sin should no longer have any effect. Zero. Because we're walking with the Lord, or we should be. Second, we can quench the spirit by smothering the spiritual fire. How do we do that? Very subtly and very justifiably. We smother the fire of the spirit by being busy and materialistic. And we're not talking about outright sin here. That's easy to identify, even if we don't want to renounce it and move away from it. We know when we sin. There's not a person in this room who doesn't know I'm committing sin right now. We may not feel guilt about it, but we know it's happening. But this is far more indirect and devious. It is so damaging that Jesus three different times said, you better be careful of this. In Mark chapter 4, in the parable of the seed, he said, quote, The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in, they choke the influence of God's word and it becomes unfruitful. In Luke 8, he emphasizes the same thing in the same parable, parallel passage. And he says, these preoccupations hinder spiritual fruit from growing. In Luke 21, right before he goes to the cross, he says, take heed to yourself so your heart isn't overcharged with self-indulgence and drinking and the cares of this life, which ensnare you and cause you to be unaware of the fact that I'm coming back soon and you're not watching and praying. Jesus himself is saying, you got to be careful you don't get caught up in all the cares of the world and wanting so much stuff that it overwhelms and dominates what is spiritually important. Now, that seems so obvious to me, and it seems so logical, but it is amazing how often I put myself in that trap. And then I wonder, and you wonder, why isn't the fire of the Spirit burning stronger? 
Why am I not more in love with the Lord? You know why? It's because we've suffocated it. Lack of oxygen puts out a fire. And many of us this morning are gasping for air spiritually because of how our lives are. I bet every single person in this room right now could say, I am just so busy. Show me hands. How many would say that? I am so busy. It's Sunday again. It's going to be Wednesday before we know it. And if we're honest about it, this is where it gets hard. We know that that has inhibited our time with the Lord from praying and studying and ministering and being part of the body. But here's the problem. We've done it to ourselves. And then we justify it. And we say, well, you just don't know. Listen, this is where self gets so insidious. It demands our attention and our priority. And we get so involved with making a living and spending time with our family and doing what we want and running to the next thing and on 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 that we don't have time for the Lord. And when that happens, we stop craving what is eternally important. We feel so pressured and and so preoccupied that spiritual feeding kind of gets pushed to the back burner if it's even on the stove. And then we wonder, why am I struggling in my walk? Why am I not uh, conquering sin? Why why is my faith weak? Why am I always worried? Why, Why don't I seem to have any spiritual influence in people's lives? And yet we're so caught up in TV and sports and we can't listen to the latest movie or, or miss the latest restaurant. We know all the entertainment news and the trivial junk, but we haven't studied First Thessalonians for months. I'm guilty of this. And I look at that and I say, this is not accusation. This is reality. This is where we are. We're smothering the work of the Spirit because we're so preoccupied when instead we should be feeding our soul instead of our flesh. Now, yeah, there are responsibilities, right? We all have responsibilities this week, but they are not more important than feeding the fire. They are not more important than the work of the Spirit in our lives. And if we get all this stuff and do all this stuff and our heart is cold toward God, then none of it has mattered. It is all just junk. But listen, when the fire of the Spirit starts burning in you, you're never satisfied with anything else. Listen, do our kids see this? Come on, parents now. Do our kids see this? Do, do our families and our friends and our co-workers see this? Do we see that in each other here? There is no greater blessing you and I can give to our kids this week than to show them the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There is no greater lesson we can teach them than to see us love the Lord and give time to the Lord and serve the Lord and worship the Lord and study God's word and to have a spiritual temperature that is through the roof. Because when they see that in us, that fire starts going to burn in them. And when they go away to high school or college or get married, they're going to look back at that. What did I learn from my folks? 
Oh, I saw that they prioritized the Lord. I saw that they loved the Lord. They didn't get so caught up in all the stuff of life that they never told me about him. They fed it and they taught it and they taught me to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's how I'm going to live and that's how I'm going to train my kids. But if they see us caught up, oh, I got so much stuff. I can't spend any time with the Lord. We'll get to it. No. Guess how they're going to grow up? Guess what their preoccupation is going to be? Let's finish. We can quench the spirit third by starving our spiritual fire. I think and believe this is the most common and the most dangerous. The way you starve a fire is by cutting off its fuel. You eliminate its source of energy. You starve it. When you're starving, it means that you're hungry because you haven't eaten. I visited Scott for a couple hours yesterday and we talked about so many things. And he was talking about how hard it's going to be because right now he's on a feeding tube and he's not able to eat anything for at least a month. And he said, Paul, I learned something the doctors told me. Many of you already know this, but I was fascinated by it. He said, when your body doesn't get enough protein, it starts to eat away at the existing muscle because it has to get protein. It has to have fuel. And I was thinking about that last night as I was finishing up. And I thought, that's exactly, there's a reason why the Lord had him tell me that because that's the exact same truth of 1 Thessalonians 5.19. That is spiritual. When we don't feed our spiritual life, it starts to eat away at any strength that we have left because we're malnourished. When you look back at 2013, would you say, I was fat with the Lord. I loved him so much and lived by his fire that I was strong. Not fat, but but lean and strong. Or do you look back and say, I don't know, I'm kind of emaciated. I'm kind of malnourished. I, I, I I don't feel like myself. See, when we don't feed it, it starts to eat away at us. And that's why there's such a difference in Christians and such a difference in churches. It is not God's will this morning that some of us be spiritually weak while others of us are a rock. That is not God's will. It is God's will that every one of us who loves the Lord looks exactly like Jesus Christ and that we are strong and powerful and victorious and faithful and sufficient and that we are on fire for the Lord. That is God's will. It is never God's will for you to be weak and timid spiritually. It's never God's will for a church to be lifeless and disunified and closed to visitors and, and lacking in praise and uninterested in prayer while others are strong and full of faith and have great spiritual influence. What's the difference? Are you stoking the fire and neglecting it? That's the only difference. That's the only difference God gives us right here in First Thessalonians 5.19. Are you quenching my spirit or are you seeking him? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for me? I am the fuel of the fire. So if you are dull and lukewarm, you can't be living by me because I'm the fuel. If if our lives, if my life this morning is dull and lukewarm and not on fire for the Lord, I can't say, well, God, you haven't done enough. 
You haven't been sufficient. You haven't been there for me. You haven't answered my prayer. You haven't taught me out of your word. No, the only way I can look at that is to say, I have not fed the fire. You know, if there's one thing I've learned to appreciate this winter, it's heat. I I don't mind cold weather that much. I do now after eight years in Wisconsin. But there have been many days where I have longed to be warm and not be shivering. And it didn't hit me until this week what a great spiritual metaphor that is and how much I need to be praying and how much we as a church, listen now, this is so important, that we as a church be praying, Lord, we need you. Lord, bring the fire of your presence down on us. How much more do I need to say and you need to say and we need to say we present our lives as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is always burned by what? Tell me. Fire. I present my life as a living sacrifice. So Lord set me on fire. It does not matter what songs we sing or how uh, we interact in the lobby, or, or what passages we study, or what programs we offer. If we can get this one thing right, if we can get the fire of the Lord in us, His blessings will be so abundant, we won't even know what to do with ourselves. But without it, there's nothing. I once heard a pastor say, Wherever the spirit is, he burns. And I got convicted about that from my own life, and I got convicted for us as a church. Are we living by the spirit? And do we see the manifestation of that? Because we are burning, burning with passion for him and passion for souls and passion to be more like him. So let's finish. You've listened so well. Let's ask three very direct questions. This is a spiritual physical. It's going to be intrusive sometimes. We got to look comprehensively, but we need to get this right first. So three questions. Number one. Have you gotten complacent about the fire? Are you comfortable because you're kind of warm? Be nice to have another blanket, but eh, it's going to take some effort to get up and get that. I'm okay for now. Are, are, are you complacent about the fire? Or is the fire of the Holy Spirit burning so strong in you that other people around you are getting warm? Question number two. What is fueling the fire in your life right now? Are you constantly putting fresh kindling on and fresh logs? Are you studying the word? Are you calling on his name? Are you stoking spiritual growth? God says, I've given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Or is the fire kind of dying down and every once in a while we, we grab a piece of paper and we kind of toss it on and, well, that burns for a little while and that's good. Well, all right, I better... Toss another one on, and, and, but it's, it, it's not roaring. 
is the fire kind of blah? Has it been kind of smothered and not stoked? Or is it burning? Number three, what's your spiritual temperature? In our most honest assessment this morning, and the Lord knows our hearts, nothing's hidden from him. Would he describe your life as cold or cool or tepid or on fire? Are you in love with him? Can you not wait to serve him? Are you full of his spirit? Does your former life, you don't have any interest in that anymore? You you don't want to be that person. You don't want to have that influence of sin. You just want to get rid of it. And every day, I'm growing more passionate about the Lord. I can't wait to get into his word. I can't wait. I see him answering prayer. I'm so excited about God. Uh, Is that where we are? Or are we kind of... Let me illustrate this and we'll pray. I saw, can you put up that image? I saw these images on Facebook a few weeks back. I have no idea if they're authentic or accurate. Isn't that the thing about Facebook? You never know what's real. Now, this ostensibly illustrates the thermal image of what it looks like when our body experiences different emotions. And it seems to make sense that depression would be kind of dark and blue and that pride would be very head-centered and, and very on fire, but, but dull in the gut. It makes sense that love would be all right in the heart, right? But that one in the top middle, where the whole body's red, and there's a fire there in the chest and in the head, I thought to myself, I believe that's what it looks like when we're full of the Spirit. That's that's what it looks like. And then I said to myself, Paul, which one are you? Which one describes you this morning? These may be made up, I don't know, but I think the point is made. Which one's you? Are you on fire for the Lord? Or are there areas that are just cold and dull and lifeless and black? This is what the Lord's calling us to. Don't quench my spirit. Don't put out my fire. You need to have me right in the center of your life. And I will work through you in powerful ways. Let's close our eyes. Be very still for just a moment. Because this is a time where the devil wants to distract us. Just go before the Lord for a minute. I don't know how God's spoken to you. But in whatever way he has, you and I need to respond. I know this has been very direct. It's been hard to preach. I know the areas of my own life that aren't on fire, that are dull. We all have them. But that's not where God wants us to live. And I want to challenge you this morning and I want to exhort you and I really do want to encourage you. What's your spiritual temperature this morning? What does the thermometer say? Is the is the mercury rising strong or is it just sitting there? We have to make that assessment because it's at the core of everything that happens spiritually.
And I want to really call you now. Really call you. To be honest before the Lord. And to examine your heart. God is able. He is willing. He is sufficient. And he has promised us. You have my spirit. Don't quench him. This is an opportunity for you and I to prepare our hearts and our minds for what is ahead. Because I feel so strongly the Lord wants to use us. But he cannot and will not if we are quenching the work of the Spirit. So this morning, I challenge you, get sin out of your life. Get it out. It is not helping you. It is taking you down. It is damaging your life and your marriage and your relationships and your reputation. And it is damaging your relationship with God. You need to get rid of it. Pride is insidious. We deny that it's there, but it's full in us. And we need to renounce it. And we need to die to our pride. And if that's your struggle this morning, and even right now the devil is saying, resist what he's saying, he's lying to you. I am not lying to you. The devil's lying to you. You got to get rid of that pride. You got to confess it to the Lord and get rid of it. And if it's just a general complacency, busyness, preoccupation, I don't want to go through the whole list. You've listened long enough. But that is smothering the fire of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Lord wants to set this church on fire. He wants to set us on fire. There is work to be done. This is a city that needs God so desperately. Who's going to go? This is a city that needs a church that praises God so loudly that the roof just starts to crumble. That calls on the name of the God of the Lord so fervently that the devil can't stand against it. That's what this church needs to be. Starts with us. If we're not on fire, that's not going to happen. But oh, when the spirit gets a hold of us, the devil will have no place. Lord, you have convicted us this morning. You have challenged us. You have called us to something new. And it will be very easy for us, Lord, because we are human. When we walk out that door this morning to put this behind us and say, that was a nice word. Now I have things to do. Lord, don't allow that today. Stir our hearts. Set us on fire for you. May our lives, when you do that spiritual CT scan, may our lives look like that one picture where our whole body, heart, mind, soul, hands, feet, oh, it's all red for you. It's all on fire for you. And Lord, you will do a magnificent work in our midst. Hinder the work of the enemy, Lord. Suppress him. 
remove his influence. And when he does come around and tries to tempt us, may we take the way of escape and stand strong for you. You are our Savior and our Lord, and we love you. And we praise you for what you're going to do. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.